Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Now You Know podcast with your host, Pastor Mark Vega. Hey, God bless you. This is Pastor Mark Vega with another episode of Now You Know. Every Monday night, we're dropping, we're dropping these podcasts. I pray that more than a podcast, I pray that it's a resource, it's a blessing, it's advantageous to your growth, it's a benefit to your life. And I want to thank you because there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts. I'm fully aware of that. It's not lost upon me. You could be listening to any other one. Yet you've chose to listen to ours, and for that we are eternally grateful. We ask that you listen to it, share it, be a subscriber, and we are we're coming up with a lot of resources on our website through brand new podcasts, to our YouTube page. We're loading up illustrated sermons, and God's really doing something powerful in our ministry. We want you to be up on what God is doing, and I want you to share it. And then don't don't just listen to it once. I know you're probably probably in the gym, at home, at work, in your laptop, on the phone, working out. Listen to it and extract everything, every nut, every nugget, every cranny, everything that you can extract from this podcast. Try to extract it to the best of your ability and build a resource, build a center where you can go and develop spiritually, solically, and even physically. In Jesus' name. This is Pastor Mark Vega. I'm excited to be with you. Today we've got a powerful, powerful podcast. We're going to be talking about escaping the trap of boredom. Escaping the trap of boredom. You know, I think whenever the richest and wisest man in the world speaks, I think we ought to pay attention. I am a, a fan, a subscriber of a master class. I love TED Talks. I love listening to people that are experts in their field because they bring pragmatic resources and it's not just theoretical they're not just ideologies they are they are they are masters in their craft and i love learning i'm a, I'm a lifelong learner let me just tell you king solomon has a lot to say about life for some reason we don't preach enough is my opinion we don't preach enough. We don't teach enough. We don't dissect enough King, what King Solomon has to say. Anything Elon Musk writes and the great writers and great leaders. And back in the day, there were there were some, some tremendous leaders hundreds of years ago. And they, they evolved into newer leaders. And a lot of their information was disseminated and when, when Jeff Bezos speaks, when, when any CEO, whether it's the Facebook CEO, whether it's, whether it's Mark, and he has something to say, whether it's Shark Tank, and you've got Mark Cuban, and, and what they have to say, and, and Damon Wayans, and just these billionaires and, and millionaires, people listen because they have reached an area, a pinnacle of life that, all, that many people have not. But when we talk about King Solomon, not only is he the richest, but he's the wisest, the most affluential, and the most influential person on the face of the earth. And I think in these next 25 minutes, he wants to teach us a couple of things, and we ought to listen. Number one, I want to take you to Ecclesiastes chapter number two. This is where we're going to be diving in. He is on a quest, he's on a journey. He's on a journey 
looking for happiness. He's looking for joy. He's looking for fulfillment. He's looking, he's looking for something that's going to be sustained. He's looking for something that is enduring. He's looking for something that is perpetual. He's looking for something that is going to last him. He, he understands that wine is good, but wine turns into folly, he says. He understands that, that whatever, whatever drugs and shrooms or whatever it was that they did back in the day, which I'm sure Solomon did it all, in quest, seeking happiness, seeking fulfillment, he could find none because it would eventually, the effects would wear off. Is that not the case with drugs? Is that not the case with, with whatever it is that, you, that, that people have subscribed to, whether well, it's Molly, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is, right? It'll give you a temporal peace, but it won't give you a lasting peace. That's why Jesus said, my peace, my peace, I give, my peace, I live, not like the, the world gives. Let your heart not be troubled. In other words, very easily laughter turns into tears of sadness. Very easily celebrations turn into slumber. Very easily parties turn into cemeteries. Very easily what we thought would give us hope and fulfillment and peace vanishes. Many people unfortunately have married another person so that the other person can't give them that which was missing and they married and they got divorced and they married again and they got divorced again. And they married one more time and they ended up divorced again. This is what Solomon says. He says, he tells himself, I will test you, Solomon, his inner voice, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, what is lasting what is satisfactory and what is what is what is what is not only satisfactory but what brings satisfaction and he 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 starts on this quest and he takes us for a ride as a tour guide if we hop on to chapter number 2 of ecclesiastes like a tour guide he is going to make some turns and we ought to take some pictures because they have a lot to say when he speaks, he says things that today still reverberate thousands of years later. He says, in my quest, in my test of pleasure to find out what is good, at the end I found out it was meaningless. He said, I found out it was nonsensical. It was meaningless. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of money. It was a waste of effort. It was a waste of hope because it was temporal. And I didn't find it. And then he says, right after that, he says in chapter 2, he says, I said to myself, I will try laughter. Let me try bringing comedians. I'm going to bring the greatest comedians. I'm going to bring people that can make me laugh. Entertainment, circuses, harems, animals, great Gatsby, has nothing on King Solomon. I'm going to throw a party. And this is what he says, reverberating words till today. He says, laughter. I tried laughter, but I found out that it too is madness. It's crazy. It is, 
it is it is insane to laugh while you're dying. Isn't that powerful? He says it's 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 crazy because I'm laughing temporarily, but I'm dying. And I'm hoping that this laughter can medicate my loneliness, can medicate my void, can medicate my desperation, my angst, my anxiety. But it didn't. He said, when that went, didn't work, then I tried wine. I tried cheering myself up with alcohol, with wine. And I imported the best wine. Could you imagine the best wine from the best vineyards? The most expensive wine. But in the morning, the effects wore off. I embraced foolishness, folly, silliness, things that are time wasters to see if, if any of that would stick. But it didn't. He said, he said I tried. I tr when that didn't work, then I became a philanthropist. Maybe if I build, if I help. Let me build some schools. Let me build some cities. Let me build some wells. Let me build houses. Let me build. He became philanthropic. He became a builder, a giver, generous. Generosity was his mantra. And he helped people. And I know that there have been some amazing, amazing quotes that have been unleashed for this generation to gravitate to and to reciprocate for it. But he says that even... Even those things that he did for other people left him empty. He did it for the environment and it left him empty. So he goes deeper in his quest. This is powerful. He went from testing, looking for pleasure to find out what was good, found out it was meaningless, subscribed to laughter, find out, found out it was folly. And from that, he became a philanthropist. He is evolving because he is trying. This is the title of today's podcast. He's trying to escape the trap of boredom. Samson has been trapped by boredom. He is pierced with many griefs. He is trapped. He cannot get out. Boredom is the preamble of death. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll unpack that. And I fear, I fear that a lot of us are doing things, going through the motions, but we're bored. In marriages that God put together, but we're bored. Leading ministries, bored. Pastoring churches, but we're bored. We're working in jobs and professions, and we're in school. We're taking, we're taking classes, but we're bored. We're bored. Wherever there's boredom, there cannot be faith. Whatever doesn't come from faith is a sin. Whatever is, wherever there's boredom, there's no expectancy. There's no expectation. There's no excitement. There's no, it's just bored, bored, boredom. David said, enter his gates. What is he saying? He's given us the antidote for boredom. He fell, he fell into the trap of boredom. As a matter of fact, he... In his, in his deathbed, on his deathbed, David, the, the most detrimental, most regrettable part of David's life, when he slept with another man's wife, 
and he sent the husband to get killed and he 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 he, he it's believed that he raped Bathsheba. Can I tell you that it happened? Not because he was an evildoer, but because he was bored. He should have been fighting. He should have been at war. He should have been fighting Second Samuel chapter number eleven when kings were fighting and should be fighting during the times where kings fought. David stood in his palace on the terrace. This is the guy that would wake up when the dew was fresh. Matter of fact, he said, at midnight I rise to give thanks unto the Lord. But now he's getting up at 7 p.m. He's getting up at 6 p.m. Can I tell you? Sleep. Sleep is a detector of boredom. As a matter of fact, any psychiatrist will tell you that one of the side effects of being depressed is wanting to stay in bed. I see people at church, young people at church, middle-aged people at church, older, middle-class, middle-aged, I'm sorry, whether, whether they're Zers, Gen Z, or Millennials, or Xers, or Boomers, and there is a rampant boredom that has, that has kidnapped the church while the word is going forward, while singers are singing and they're, and they're laboring and they're singing and, they're, and they want to escort the power and the presence and the majesty of God on that service in that event, in that life group, you see half of the church half-heartedly there, bored. Bored out of their minds. In marriages, bored. In relationships, bored. In businesses, bored. Leading, bored. In boardrooms, in executive rooms, bored. Solomon cannot escape the clutches of boredom. He cannot escape the talons of boredom. And he goes deeper. He said, I denied my eyes, nothing it desired. I want, you, I want you to hear this for a second. We learn from Solomon that our eyes have an innate desire. Our eyes desire. Our eyes desire. And let me finish this thought. Your eyes desire everything, everything, everything. Everything that is contrary to Scripture. Your eyes desire what this world has to offer. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. 1 John 2.15. And the pride of life. Our eyes desired. And what it desired, I gave it. I gave it all the sex it wanted. I gave it. All of the appetites it lusted for. I gave it. Gave it so much he had 700 wives and that wasn't enough. He was still bored with 700 wives. And so he goes and picks up 300 more women called concubines. <laughs> A thousand women. And he's still bored. No fulfillment. I want you to know your eyes... Your eyes are not your friend. Your eyes are your enemy. Your optical eyes, what you see in this world, your eyes want. 
That's why Paul reminds us, remember, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Our citizenship is not of this world. This world has nothing for us, Jesus explained to us. This cosmos, the systems of this world, the patterns of this world, they ought not be desired after because they're not, they're not beneficial. They're not advantageous to your spiritual life. What you see, what you see will always defy what God says. I'm just, just going to tell you, human logic and God's word, there's a tension between them. There's a tension between faith and logic. There can be a marriage, but there's usually a tension. Why? Because many of us, we give our lives to God. We give our hearts to God, but we don't give our eyes to God. And so there's a divorce between our eyes and our heart. Lord have mercy. I hope somebody's getting it today. This is what he says. He doesn't just stop there. In Ecclesiastes chapter number two, if you go to verse, this is this is where I want you, I'm parked here because for a reason. But if you go to verse 10, not only does he say, I denied my, myself nothing my eyes desired. He said, I refused my heart. I refused my heart no pleasure. I refused it, no pleasure. My heart wanted pleasure and I refused it. So check this out. Not only is his, not only are his eyes desiring anything contrary to God and his word and his will, but his heart now, his heart is in great anguish looking for pleasure. No wonder the Bible says, deceitful is the heart of man. Be crazy and be crazy and I want to warn you, don't sign up and subscribe for the sayings and the cliches that are released on Twitter. Follow your heart. Your heart will lead you to hell. We know this because of Eve. The Bible says when it comes to the eyes, Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. She saw that it was good for food. Eve saw. Eve saw. Genesis 3, 6. Eve saw that the fruit was good for for food, she saw eyes. The Bible says that Satan took Jesus in uh, up on the pinnacle, one of the pinnacles, not when he took him on the pinnacle of the temple, but he took him to a high place. And he said, he showed him, the Bible says, he, Matthew 4, and I believe Luke 4, he says, and he showed, S-H-O-W-E-D, he showed he showed Jesus. Because even though Jesus was the Messiah, even though he was the Emmanuel, even though he was God in flesh, he had to conquer that flesh. And the devil was doing everything in his power to show him, to show him so that he could desire along with his eyes what was contrary to God's will. Can I tell you that a lot of pastors, I love, I love, I love this particular podcast because if you are a Gen Zer, you're gonna get something. If you are, if you are a Gen Xer, you're gonna get something. If you're a millennial, you're gonna get something. If you're a pastor, you're gonna get something. Regardless of your profession, regardless of your demographics, regardless of your age, you're going to get something. 
And I don't say that braggadociously. I say that with a lot of humility. But there are many pastors who started on fire for God. God called it, you on fire for him. You want souls. Budget didn't matter. Budget did not matter. Who, who, who patted you on the back? Who supported you didn't matter. You knew God supported you. You knew God was your provision. I will raise, David said, my eyes. Oh, God. Here we go again. To the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. In other words, I will give my eyes no no pleasure in what it desires. But do you remember that, Pastor? When you started your ministry, you were hungry, you were on fire. You, the budget didn't matter. It was irrelevant. Your sound system was irrelevant. Only thing that mattered was that you were willing and you were able to do what God called you to do. And that city was going to be yours. The church was going to be yours. And all of a sudden, God was with you and he was plowing with you hand in hand. You saw God's grace, God's favor, God's mercy, God's power. You saw God doing what he does to the fullest. You saw in your weakness, he was strong. But then you reached a point of self-sustainment. You reached a point of independence. You stopped being dependent on God. You became the man. Your church grew. Oh, now you're a big shot. Now you're now you don't need God in the context of your life, of your ministry, of your marriage, like you did before, because you've learned a couple of things along the way. And nobody can't nobody tell you anything. You know it all. Be careful. My friend, my colleague, my beloved, be careful. Be be careful because it's not. It's not the 20-year-old that backslides in Scripture. It's not, it's not the 24-year-old couple that's church planting that backslides in Scripture. I know we pray a lot for the youth and we undermine the youth and we, we, almost under, we almost underrate the power that young people have and we constantly suggest and imply that they are, they are the ones that are prone to fall. There's a propensity for them to sin greater than there is for adults, that's not biblical. Let me tell you what is biblical. What is biblical is that once you reach 40 and 50 years old and 60 years old, there's a greater propensity to backslide. David backslid when he was 40. Samson backslid when he was 40. Saul backslid when he was 50. Demas backslid when he was 50, 60. He loved the world. And can I tell you, all of the contemporary pastors that we know that have fallen and the ones we don't know directly, but we know of them, we've been impacted by their ministry from back in the days of Catherine Kuhlman to people like Jimmy Swagger in the 80s and Jim Baker in the, in the 90s. And you hear people that have fallen and, and people that have fallen and, and were in grace and and and, 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 and and expanded the kingdom and expounded on God's word and did amazing things. And even the, the ones that we don't quite comprehend, oh my God, but but Hillsong, but 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 what about this and about what about that? And the the, the the National Association of Evangelicals and Ted the Ted Haggards and they're in their fifties. 
they're in their 50s. They fell in their 50s. And I'm not making light of it. I'm just telling you. Because the Bible says that he who is spiritual, if you want to restore spiritually, lest something worse happens to you. That's why I don't, I don't, I don't burn time, valuable time, talking about people that have fallen. Let's learn from them. Let's help them. Let's love them. Let's build them. Because at one time, we were blessed too. You know what somebody told me? I don't want to deviate, but somebody said, I don't know how you still listen to so-and-so after you fell. I said, I don't know how you read the Bible because half of those people that wrote the Bible also fell, starting with, starting with David. I don't know how you read Psalms, Proverbs. I don't know how you read Psalms, Proverbs, and, 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 and read it without winking, without batting an eye twice. He fell. Oh, do we do oh, cancel? Cancel culture didn't just start. People been trying to cancel. That's what the devil wants to do, right? I would say today he wants to steal. He wants to cancel and he wants to destroy you. But God has called you. Don't give your eye desire. Don't give your heart pleasure. And all of this, and I'm, I'm going to finish with this now. All of this takes us to the last point. He says, I hate life. Good Lord, have mercy. He is, he is, he is King Solomon. And he hates life. After he did the unimaginable, he hates life. Because he thought life was the answer. Life was just a journey. Let me just share one last thing with you. He was, he turned entertainment on to the highest. He ordered prostitutes and harems and parties and clubs and circuses and looking, desperately looking, anxiously looking for lasting pleasure. And he says everything was meaningless. Entertainment, entertainment will make you crash. And it will introduce you in that crash to a life of boredom. That's the problem with our young people. Our young people have tried, and they've tried drugs and drinking and sex and porn, and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. And everything is a visual and everything is, they got the, 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 the technology, technological advancement will continue to increase at warp speed. But let me tell you the contrast of that is boredom. Now they're in the church and they're sitting in a room and if the pastor is not privy to this, the pastor will put them in a little room with no budget and in a room with a little 45 bulb watt light bulb that's hanging by a string and old moldy carpets and a couple of chairs and, 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 and they're supposed to be excited about coming to church. Pastor, friend, colleague, I... I implore you, I implore you, I implore you, curtail some finances. I, I, I implore you, I implore you, please hear me. Pastor, earmark some finances for you young people. Get a youth pastor. Pay that youth pastor, the youth leaders. Pastor, I don't know if you've forgotten, but it's the un most underappreciated ministry. Give them, prepare them. 
I'm not saying the light package is what works. I'm not saying it's about light package and hazers and fog machines and, and technology and LED screens. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, but it does help. It helps when your young people are coming and they are, they are in a place where they're proud of. They're in a place where they can invite their friends. They're in a room that, 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 that they're proud of. It gives them identity. That's where God moves. That's where they meet God face to face. That's where they have an encounter with God. Get them out of that mold infested room. Get them out. Get them out of there. Breathe life on them, Pastor. Don't you see their eyes are desiring, their hearts are craving pleasure? You have to contend with that. Why do we do illustrated sermons? Why do we push the envelope the way we do? Because we understand this is a generation that has been raised by technology. The word has power. The word is anointed. The word, somebody said, well, but the word does not need help. Jesus didn't preach from a cave. He was the word. He used places like the mount. He got on a stage. Sermon on the mount. That means he was on a stage. The Bible says that people came up to see him. Up, up, up. You be. There was staging. Jesus knew about staging. Jesus planted his ministry in Nazareth. That was Grand Central Station. That was the Manhattan of the day where traffic would come and flow. That's why his word and his name spread quickly. Pastor, reassess. Reassess the way you're introducing youth ministry. We'll do a podcast on this. But my friend, escape the trap of boredom. The word of God is not boring. Christianity is not boring. Your wife is not boring. Your husband is not boring. The church is not boring. What has become boring, what has become boring is your desire to see God. And that's why you got to keep your eyes, give your eyes to the author and finish of your faith. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a blind man to enter the kingdom enter enter heaven and here's what he says man if your eyes if you're giving your eyes to desire so much that you cannot you cannot carry this cross and pluck your eye out chop your arm off it's better to be maimed in this life but have all your faculties in heaven i pray that today you got some and I pray for you today, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would touch every listener. That our eyes, that our hearts would not be given to desire and pleasure. That we would not try to laugh our way through the day. But that we would understand that you are the author and finisher of our faith. That our eyes must be placed on you. Like Mary, give us a, give us, give us a merry heart in a Martha world. That we would not be distracted by things that are necessary, but that we would be fastened, that we would be fixated, that we would love you forever, and that nothing ever would compare to your presence, to your power, to your grace, to your mercy. Lord, I ask you this in the name of Jesus, 
Just like David said, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come, my God. Tell him, Lord, come into this room, flood my room, flood my job, flood my marriage, flood my ministry, flood. Do, do nothing but flood in Jesus' mighty name that you would flood, that you would, that you would, that you would flood my heart, flood my eyes, circumcise my eyes and my heart, God. And we close out this prayer, Father, declaring what David said. One thing I ask from you, Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For what? Not to serve, not to be served, but to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Let, let your constituents know that boredom can be broken. It's a trap and you can be disentangled by the grace, the power, and the mercies of God. This is Pastor Mark Radio, and I pray that you've gotten something from this podcast. Share it, comment on it, subscribe to our YouTube page, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. God bless you. See you.